Glad to have you along today on Community Matters. You hear us Saturdays on 95.3 WBCK and anytime at BattleCreekPodcast.com. It's brought to you by Lakeview Ford Lincoln. Richard Pyatt here with you, joined now by Calhoun County Sheriff Steve Hinckley. Good morning, sir. Morning. How are you? Doing well, thank you. You have been really filling your gas tank and going all over the place as of late, not the least of which was the Mackinac Public Policy Conference. And that's what we're going to talk about today, uh, because uh, on top of just attending, you were also a panelist. That was my primary reason for attending, to um, discuss and be a panelist for the uh, project that they have at MSU. It was a fantastic opportunity. And there's really a couple reasons that this was so important for us locally in Calhoun. Um, Number one, it is so important to protect our our teachers and our schools. But number two is uh, Lansing will be taking up uh, juvenile justice reform here shortly. Um, So as we talk about mental health and and the laws will be changing, what a great opportunity to make sure that we do this right. And so it was a great opportunity. Tell us what the purpose of the panel was. We had the opportunity to talk about the Prevent to Protect project through MSU. And uh, Michigan State University had received a $15 million appropriation uh, from the Michigan Department of Education for their Prevent to Protect program. And that's specifically targeting youth targeted violence. So I had the opportunity to be a panelist on that. And let me give you a little background. I've had the opportunity to teach thousands of people before I was sheriff, and 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 I continue uh, through active violence training and active shooter training through our communities. This is such an important topic for me for several different reasons. Number one, now that I am the sheriff and administrating, um, this is so important that we we really look at youth mental health. And uh, Michigan State has a great project. This is my perspective. So Michigan State, through this project, is attempting to uh, create five regional uh, intensive support teams. And why is that important to us and why is it important to me? We routinely, it's, it's, it's sad to say, we routinely respond to um, tips or uh, calls from schools of a potential violence through schools. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you know, a lot of t- a lot of times, some of these some of these tips are just kids making statements, and sometimes it's kids making statements that may have some validity to those statements. So I think we can all agree we never imagined ten years ago that we would be responding to these amount of calls uh, for services. But here's what we're seeing: there are so many people locally and throughout the state that are doing so many good things for youth. When we contact a student that may have made a threat and we refer them through the juvenile system, refer them to a mental health, you know, away they go. There are so many people doing so many good things, but I'm not sure that we have that collaborative understanding and we're coordinated enough to understand exactly what good things we're doing, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. And so I really think that Michigan State's program will be able to take everything throughout the state and tie it together. So we have one resource when we're dealing with a student or a youth that could be a very significant threat that we really look at him and we track that youth and we make sure that all these resources that we're using locally are all coordinated together. So everyone's talking together and we have one resource uh, to go through. I, I think it's so important because, I mean, we cannot fail with communication. We all have to be on the same page. All of our local resources, we need to be talking together about 
this youth and make sure that we're getting this right. So having that ability and that focal point uh, through this project is so important. Some of the other things uh, is education and training through this program is so important. And uh, consulting, when we're dealing with a youth that has made a threat, they're a unique individual. Some of the care, the mental health care that they need is unique and different from other individuals. And so we really need to focus on that. And and let me say this, I want to make sure that we're clear. I stand for justice 24-7. You know, if there's a danger to the community, I will stand up and we will make the right decisions all the time. On the other hand, there are still kids that need help and they need mental health services. I think it's important for us to recognize that. And I think it's important for us to reach out and find the resources to help those kids. So this panel on which you participated focused on that, and I want to get to that. You, though, made a comment about how our communication may not be clear enough such that we know what everyone's role is and how we're complementing each other with, with the services and the scenario you described. How close are we to that? I think we're close, but I think you have to remember that sometimes youth they're referred to several different agencies to get the services that they need. And let's just be honest with each other. Uh, Sometimes not everyone communicates or communicates clearly enough to make sure that everyone understands the direct services that this individual is getting. Hmm. So, you know, are we, are we, are we good? I think we're doing a lot of good things. Could we be better? Absolutely. We could be better. And I think this program is is one of the keys to really tie those things together to make us as good as we possibly could be. This is one of these topics that um, when we're dealing with a youth that has made a significant threat and has the potential to follow through on that, we, we can't be wrong on this. Yeah, that that's uh, the pressure under which you and your colleagues are working. So this panel was meant to explore this discussion about better communication in in these circles absolutely so so for me being on this panel i i had i had two different things number one is to answer any questions um, from individuals attending they understood the law enforcement perspective and it's nice to let people know the factual truth information about what's going on. Right. We all have different perspectives, right? Doctors have different perspectives. Uh, law enforcement, we have a different spe- perspective. And I think once we share those things and it comes together, we can better understand the direction that we need to go. So that that was important to me. And then secondly, Lansing will be taking on juvenile justice reform here shortly. I think there's been some um, some bills submitted or talked about, but I think uh, here in the next few sessions or, or, uh, or soon, they will be discussing making some significant changes to our juvenile justice system, which I think is very, very important. Um, we've been working under a very broken system for years, and I think that uh, we need to make some updates and some changes to that. So being able to set and possibly talk to the right individuals and help them understand the law enforcement perspective, I think was very, very uh, critical because, again, we have to get that right also. And I was appointed by Governor Whitmer to the Juvenile Justice Task Force uh, back two years ago, and we spent about a year uh, working in small groups on recommendations for juvenile justice reform. Hmm. We made some pretty key recommendations. Now, once that committee, we're just the committee, right? 
we make those recommendations and then they head mm -hmm. off into the, the world of politics. And Richard, let me let me give me an example, just one example of I think a key change that really fits into the conversation at Mackinac and fits into the to the uh, juvenile justice reform. So, yeah. so I've been a policeman for 33 years and for many, many years, I would submit a petition for a juvenile. For instance, one of the one of the status offenses was incorrigibility. Okay. So I would respond to a home and there would be a youth that would be heading down the wrong road. The parents would be asking for help. And we could see that the next steps for this youth were probably criminal offenses. And so to try to get this youth some help, I would have to submit a criminal petition or a petition to the court mm -hmm. for incorrigibility to get this youth into the system, to get this youth into mental health services, and to get this person some help. Now, for years, it made sense to me. But now, where we're at today, it really doesn't make sense for me as a law enforcement officer to clog up the court system uh -huh. because there's no other option. I can't refer this child to get them help in any other way other than going through the prosecutor's office, going through the court system and clogging up that system. Why don't we have another means for me as law enforcement to petition this child to someone somewhere, somehow to get them the youth services that they need and divert them from clogging up our criminal justice system. That's just one example of many, many examples of where we're at. I, I'm, I have another one, if I could share it with you. Yeah, please do. So the other side to this too is we have very limited resources in placing juveniles. There is no place statewide to take a juvenile. We have our juvenile home, don't get me wrong, there's beds there available, but state resources, we have no place to put a juvenile to get them that the, the coordinated help that they need. A lot of these places have closed. There are different departments that uh, I'm hearing are, are taking a juvenile from their jurisdiction and contracting to lodge them out of state in uh -huh. Wisconsin, Indiana. Yeah. And so we need some juvenile resources. We need the ability to take a child and whether it's court ordered wherever and place them somewhere so they can get the help that they need. And when you say that, you mean that they need something more specialized than a, a stop at the juvenile home. Right. These are kids that most likely have been sentenced and they need to be placed somewhere where they can get the services when they're serving their sentence mm -hmm. or and they can get the, they can get the correct uh, the correct help that they need they, they just don't exist and on the other hand you're right there are places that when when a juvenile is arrested there are counties that do not have a juvenile facility in the state and so they arrest a juvenile for a significant crime and they're like where do I put this juvenile and they call around and there's no place to put them every place is full so yeah. what do we do next i mean how do we protect the public and how do we provide the services to a to a child that needs it so they can be successful in life so that sounds pretty urgent but the state's still working to figure this out by way of the contributions you and others are making now as you pointed out the committee recommendations are going to go into the world of politics your words boy that could be tricky couldn't it it could be. Yeah, sure. I think our representatives understand the importance to get this right. That's why I really took that opportunity to be at that policy conference serious. Um, and not that I wouldn't take anything serious, but but I, I looked at it because 
we had an opportunity to be in front of possibly the right people right. to make them understand that this was not just one single objective problem. This was a huge issue. And they have to get this right. We have to think outside the box and we have to make sure that we are protecting the public and uh, and doing the right thing and making sure that we get the resources to the right people. I don't know about you, but it, it just seems like from when we were kids to now, there are some different problems and those problems are pretty significant. And we really have to focus and figure out how we can how we can change this. I think we, we can change the course on this. I think we can change the course as long as we all get together and make the right decisions. I think your first example about the incorrigibility threshold where you make that petition happen was a was a point at which services could follow. And I think what you're saying is now that it's so busy with those kinds of petitions that it's clogged the court. So that option no longer works. Right. Yeah, a- absolutely. If if we could take some of those non-criminal referrals and divert them, because they're diverted anyways, right? Mm-hmm. We send those to the prosecutor's office, they get into the court, and there's a possibility that they're diverted anyways to some youth help. Why can't we skip that for non-criminal things? and petition them in before they become non-criminal things. If there's a refusal and we can't, and the the parents or the family, and we can't get cooperation there, then we can move through the court system. But give us an option prior to the court system to make that happen. So what do we think the timeline is here? It sounds like there's still a lot of due diligence going on, and this is an urgent issue. So what do you think the timeline is for progress? Well, I think it's been an urgent issue for 10 years, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know what the timeline is. Once it hits Lansing, hopefully they can see on, uh, you know, they can see some of those, uh, you know, some of those recommendations uh, that we made and, uh, and hopefully they can get together and talk about those and certainly there'll be bills. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully this year or next year, we can see some changes. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you said the governor wanted this task force to to look at this. So she has some interest in moving this forward um, and maybe she can use her influence to push that. But as you say, there's not a timeline on it yet. No timeline yet. I would hope by the end of the year or next year or whenever this is taken up and it's moving forward, it'll it'll move relatively quick. A lot, you know, and a lot of this is, is about finances and uh, plugging in money to the right areas and resources. I'll be honest with you, there are so many good things that could come out of this. Uh, this is a system that is broken, has been broken. And, uh, you know, there were so many community uh, leaders that were involved in this task force from law enforcement, uh, school resource officers, court administrators, judges, ref- referees, detention staff. There were so many different uh, resources, but people that were that were talking about this. And I if you have time, Richard, I'd like to talk about school resource officers for a second. Could I do that? Yeah, um, let's do that. I just had one more question about yeah. something you said. You articulated this scenario where a juvenile might need assistance that there isn't a resource for. What happens then? They're always shipped off somewhere else, maybe another state? If a law enforcement agency arrests a juvenile for a criminal offense, and they're seeking to lodge that juvenile to protect the public mm-hmm. per the court order, we are having difficulty statewide finding a location 
to lodge that juvenile to hold them through the court process to be specific. So there are a lack of beds for the pre-court process and there's a lack of beds for the post-court process for sentencing. And so that is the trouble right now that we're seeing. For instance, there are several different counties or areas that do not have the option of a youth facility like we have. Yeah. And so a lot of those counties are reaching out wherever they can to find a bed. And sometimes a bed is Wisconsin, Indiana, uh, to lodge these juveniles. That's the problem. Okay. And the juvenile home is not an option because they're in a different part of the system than the inhabitants of the juvenile home. Well, the, the juvenile home isn't, I mean, it's, it's nice for us because if we have an incident, we can contact our juvenile home I and see. ask for a bed and ask for, yeah, yeah. So I that juvenile home is an option. Yep. Okay. Uh, it's specifically a problem for those counties without a juvenile home. It is. And, and yeah. it would be a problem for us if our beds are full. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so so it is a problem. It's a problem for all of us. Yep. Got it. All right. So school resource officers, you were talking about how things are different since you and I were in school. We didn't have those. <laughs> yeah, we didn't. I am a an advocate. I wish we could have a school resource officer in every school. Number one, there there are some grant opportunities through the state that they're providing uh, resources for our school resource officers to be in schools. And why why I think that is important is I've learned a lot from teachers through some of the trainings. One of the things that strikes me as the most important, I look at a teacher and I found that teachers love these kids. It's almost like these kids are their own kids. Mm -hmm. uh, all they want to do is teach these kids. All they want to do is be safe when they're teaching the kids. And the kids just want to be safe when they're when they're in school. So teachers are, I've learned so much of, and I have so much respect for, for them and how they uh, how they operate. The one thing that strikes me is I look at these teachers during some of these trainings and you can just see the hope and the sometimes the discouraged nature in their eyes because, again, all they're looking for is a safe environment just to do what they need to do. You know, a teacher shouldn't have to worry about school violence. They shouldn't have to worry about a student starting a, a violent situation in the hallway. They just shouldn't think of that. So why I think our school resource officers are so important is, number one, is they are specifically trained to help and work through our schools. We, we have a very unique situation here in Calhoun. Summit Point uh, trained the first juvenile crisis intervention training. Uh, for our school resource officers and our school resource officers have been trained in that. So our school resource officers have the ability to recognize and see these students all the time. They may have the opportunity to recognize maybe a potential violent situation that's starting to brew in the school. Mm -hmm. The other thing about our school resource officers is, you know, sadly to say, there's some kids out there that are not told, we appreciate you, we're proud of you. You did a great job today. And some of our school resource officers are that light shining for some of these kids. They're the ones that that say, you know, we're so proud of you. I couldn't imagine to be a child and not having someone say that to me. 
that you're important and that we appreciate you. And so I just think the right school resource officer in one, in schools are, is so important uh, for the safety, security, and for the mental health of everyone in the school. And to be, I mean, they make such a huge impact and I'm just so proud of them. So to be clear, their positions, generally speaking, are to be out there, eyes and ears, watching and interacting with young people and and trying to recognize situations that might need an intervention. Absolutely. Those are just a few. To also help the school with their planning for uh, major incidents, to help the school through all those programs. Yeah. So the school resource programs, I know we didn't need them when we were in school, but um, to have the relationship, I'll tell you, when I was 16, if I had a school resource officer in school, I may not have been stopped for speeding as many times as I was when I was 16, Richard. (laughs) (laughs) They probably would have looked at me and said, young man, when you pull out of this parking lot, you better be slowing it down. So, (laughs) A positive influence for all of us. Another one, right. Well, uh, we sure will keep in touch with you and hope to see some progress on this issue. I presume at the conference when when, uh, the right people were in the room and were listening, Perhaps you saw some light bulbs go on. Well, I hope so. I hope we made an impact, and I I hope everybody understood the importance, especially with this program and the mental health diversion, and understand the importance that when we start to carve out a law, that that law is carefully thought out, and we include everybody's needs from law enforcement to the youth, to the court, to the mental health system, we just cannot miss anything. Once in a while, we we are hurried, and sometimes we miss key things to the law. And then by the time we spend years trying to go through the, the law and trying to cover the things we should have, we've missed the point. Uh-huh. And we just right. missed the point. Yeah, so some real careful thought, which means uh, this won't happen fast. <laughs> You're right, right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Thank you for the update, and uh, we'll stay in touch. All right. Thank you. Calhoun County Sheriff Steve Hinckley on Community Matters.